Chapter Twenty One of Rural Rides. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Rural Rides by William Cobbett. Chapter Twenty One. Ride down the valley of the Avon in Wiltshire. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn, and the labourer is worthy of his reward. Deuteronomy, chapter twenty-five, verse four, one Corinthians nine, verse nine, one Timothy five, verse nine. Milton, Monday, twenty-eighth August. I came off this morning on the Marlborough Road about two miles or three, and then turned off over the downs, in a north-westerly direction, in search of the source of the Avon River, which goes down to Salisbury. I had once been at Nether Avon a village in this valley but i had often heard this valley described as one of the finest pieces of land in all england i knew that there were about thirty parish churches standing in a length of about thirty miles and in an average width of hardly a mile and i was resolved to see a little into the reasons that could have induced our fathers to build all these churches especially if as the scotch would have us believe there were but a mere handful of people in england until of late years the first part of my ride this morning was by the side of Sir John Astley's Park. This man is one of the members of the county, Gallenlove Bennett being the other. They say that he is good to the labouring people, and he ought to be good for something, being a member of Parliament, of the Lethbridge and Dickinson stamp. However, he has got a thumping estate, though it be borne in mind. The working people and the fundholders and the dead weight have each their separate mortgage upon it of which this baronet has i dare say too much justice to complain seeing that the amount of these mortgages was absolutely necessary to carry on pitt and percival and castlereagh wars to support hanoverian soldiers in england to fight and beat the americans on the serpentine river to give wellington a kingly estate and to defray the expenses of manchester and other yeomanry cavalry besides all the various charges of power of imprisonment bills and of six acts these being the cause of the mortgages the worthy baronet has i will engage too much justice to complain of them in steering across the down i came to a large farm which a shepherd told me was milton hill farm this was upon the high land and before i came to the edge of this valley of avon which was my land of promise or at least of great expectation for I could not imagine that thirty churches had been built for nothing by the side of a brook, for it is no more during the greater part of the way, thirty miles long. The shepherd showed me the way towards Milton, and at the end of about a mile, from the top of a very high part of the down, with a steep slope towards the valley, I first saw this valley of Avon, and a most beautiful sight it was. Villages, hamlets, large farms, towers, steeples, fields, meadows, orchards, and very fine timber trees scattered all over the valley the shape of the thing is this on each side downs very lofty and steep in some places and sloping miles back in other places but each outside of the valley are downs from the edge of the downs begin capital arable fields generally of very great dimensions and in some places running a mile or two back into little cross valleys formed by hills of downs after the cornfields come meadows on each side down to the brook or river the farmhouses mansions villages and hamlets 
are generally situated in that part of the arable land which comes nearest the meadows great as my expectations had been they were more than fulfilled i delight in this sort of country and i had frequently seen the vale of the itchen that of the bourne and also that of the test in hampshire i had seen the vales amongst the south downs but i never before saw anything to please me like this valley of the avon i sat upon my horse and looked over milton and easton and pusey for half an hour though i had not breakfasted the hill was very steep a road going slanting down it was still so steep and washed so very deep by the rains of ages that i did not attempt to ride down it and i did not like to lead my horse the path was so narrow so seeing a boy with a drove of pigs going out to the stubbles i beckoned him to come up to me and he came and led my horse down for me endless is the variety in the shape of the high lands which form this valley sometimes the slope is very gentle and the arable lands go back very far at others the downs come out into the valley almost like piers into the sea being very steep in their sides as well as their ends towards the valley they have no slope at their other ends indeed they have no back ends but run into the main high land there is also great variety in the width of the valley great variety in the width of the meadows but the land appears all to be of the very best and it must be so for the farmers confess it it seemed to me that one way and that not perhaps the least striking of exposing the folly the stupidity the inanity the presumption the insufferable emptiness and insolence and barbarity of those numerous wretches who have now the audacity to propose to transport the people of england upon the principle of the monster malthus who has furnished the unfeeling oligarchs and their toad-eaters with the pretence that man has a natural propensity to breed faster than food can be raised for the increase it seemed to me that one way of exposing this mixture of madness and of blasphemy was to take a look now that the harvest is in at the produce the mouths the condition and the changes that have taken place in a spot like this which god has favoured with every good that he has had to bestow upon man from the top of the hill i was not a little surprised to see in every part of the valley that my eye could reach a due a large portion of fields of swedish turnips all looking extremely well i had found the turnips of both sorts by no means bad from salt hill to newbury but from newbury through berkeley highclere uphusband and tangley i had seen but few at and about ludgars hall and everley i had seen hardly any but when i came this morning to milton hill farm i saw a very large field of what appeared to me to be fine swedish turnips in the valley however i found them much finer and the fields were very beautiful objects forming as their colour did so great a contrast with that of the fallows and the stubbles which latter are this year singularly clean and bright having gotten to the bottom of the hill i proceeded on to the village of milton i left easton away at my right and i did not go up to watton rivers where the river avon rises and which lies just close to the south-west corner of marlborough forest and at about five or six miles from the town of marlborough lower down the river as i thought there lived a friend who was a great farmer and whom i intended to call on it being my way however always to begin making inquiries soon enough i asked the pig-driver where this friend lived and to my surprise i found that he lived in the parish of milton after riding up to the church as being the centre of the village i went on towards the house of my friend which lay on my road down the valley i have many many times witnessed agreeable surprise but i do not know that i ever in the whole course of my life saw people so much surprised and pleased as this farmer and his family were at seeing me 
people often tell you that they are glad to see you and in general they speak truth i take pretty good care not to approach any house with the smallest appearance of a design to eat or drink in it unless i be quite sure of a cordial reception but my friend at fifield it is in milton parish and all his family really seem to be delighted beyond all expression when i set out this morning i intended to go all the way down to the city of salisbury to-day but i soon found that to refuse to sleep at fifield would cost me a great deal more trouble than a day was worth so that i made my mind up to stay in this farmhouse which has one of the nicest gardens and it contains some of the finest flowers that i ever saw and all is disposed with as much good taste as i have ever witnessed here i am then just going to bed after having spent as pleasant a day as i ever spent in my life i have heard to-day that birkbeck lost his life by attempting to cross a river on horseback but if what i have heard besides be true that life must have been hardly worth preserving for they say that he was reduced to a very deplorable state and i have heard from what i deem unquestionable authority that his two beautiful and accomplished daughters are married to two common labourers one a yankee and the other an irishman neither of whom has probably a second shirt to his back or a single pair of shoes to put his feet into these poor girls owe their ruin and misery if my information be correct and at any rate hundreds besides birkbeck himself owe their utter ruin the most scandalous degradation together with great bodily suffering to the vanity the conceit the presumption of birkbeck who observe richly merited all that he suffered not excepting his death for he sinned with his eyes open he rejected all advice he persevered after he saw his error he dragged thousands into ruin along with him and he most vilely calumniated the man who after having most disinterestedly but in vain endeavoured to preserve him from ruin endeavoured to preserve those who were in danger of being deluded by him when in eighteen seventeen before he set out for america i was in catherine street strand london so earnestly pressing him not to go to the back countries he had one of these daughters with him after talking to him for some time and describing the risks and disadvantages of the back countries i turned towards the daughter and in a sort of joking way said miss birkbeck take my advice don't let anybody get you more than twenty miles from boston new york philadelphia or baltimore upon which he gave me a most dignified look and observed miss birkbeck has a father sir whom she knows it to be her duty to obey this snap was enough for me i saw that this was a man so full of self-conceit that it was impossible to do anything with him he seemed to me to be bent upon his own destruction i thought it my duty to warn others of their danger some took the warning others did not but he and his brother adventurer flower never forgave me and they resorted to all the means in their power to do me injury they did me no injury no thanks to them and i have seen them most severely but most justly punished amesbury tuesday twenty ninth august i set off from fifield this morning and got here about one o'clock with my clothes wet while they are drying and while a mutton chop is getting ready i sit down to make some notes of what i have seen since i left enford but here comes my dinner and i must put off my notes till i have dined salisbury wednesday thirtieth august my ride yesterday from milton to this city of salisbury was without any exception the most pleasant it brought before me the greatest number of to me interesting objects and it gave rise to more interesting reflections than i remember ever to have had brought before my eyes or into my mind in any one day of my life and therefore this ride was without any exception the most pleasant that i ever had in my life as far as my recollection serves me 
I got a little wet in the middle of the day, but I got dry again, and I arrived here in very good time, though I went over the accursed hill, Old Sarum, and went across to Laverstoke, before I came to Salisbury. Let us now, then, look back over this part of Wiltshire, and see whether the inhabitants ought to be transported by order of the Emigration Committee, of which we shall see and say more by and by. I have before described this valley generally. Let me now speak of it a little more in detail. The farms are all large, and generally speaking, they were always large, I dare say, because sheep is one of the great things here, and sheep in a country like this must be kept in flocks to be of any profit. The sheep principally manure the land. This is to be done only by folding, and to fold you must have a flock. Every farm has its portion of down, arable, and meadow, and in many places the latter are watered meadows, which is a great resource where sheep are kept in flocks, because these meadows furnish grass for the suckling ewes early in the spring, and indeed because they have always food in them for sheep and cattle of all sorts. These meadows have had no part of the suffering from the drought this year. They fed the ewes and lambs in the spring, and they are now yielding a heavy crop of hay, for I saw men mowing in them in several places, particularly about Netheravon, though it was raining at the time. The turnips look pretty well all the way down the valley, but I see very few except Swedish turnips. The early common turnips very nearly all failed, I believe, but the stubbles are beautifully bright, and the rickyards tell us that the crops are good, especially of wheat. This is not a country of peas and beans, nor of oats except for home consumption. The crops are wheat, barley, wool, and lambs, and these latter not to be sold to butchers, but to be sold at the great fairs, to those who are going to keep them for some time, whether to breed from, or finally to fat for the butcher. It is the pulse and the oats that appear to have failed most this year, and therefore this valley has not suffered. I do not perceive that they have many potatoes, but what they have of this base root seem to look well enough. It was one of the greatest villains upon earth, Sir Walter Raleigh, who, they say, first brought this root into England. He was hanged at last. What a pity, since he was to be hanged, the hanging did not take place before he became such a mischievous devil as he was in the latter two-thirds of his life. The stackyards down this valley are beautiful to behold. They contain from five to fifteen banging wheat ricks, besides barley ricks and hay ricks, and also besides the contents of the barns, many of which exceed a hundred, some two hundred, and I saw one at Pusey and another at Fittleton, each of which exceeded two hundred and fifty feet in length. At a farm, which in the old maps is called Chisenbury Priory, I think I counted twenty-seven ricks of one sort and another, and sixteen or eighteen of them wheat ricks. I could not conveniently get to the yard, without longer delay than I wished to make, but I could not be much out in my counting. A very fine sight this was, and it could not meet the eye without making one look round, and in vain, to see the people who were to eat all this food, and without making one reflect on the horrible, the unnatural, the base and infamous state in which we must be when projects are on foot, and are openly avowed for transporting those who raise this food because they want to eat enough of it to keep them alive, and when no project is on foot for transporting the idlers who live in luxury upon this same food, where no project is on foot for transporting pensioners, parsons, or dead-weight people. A little while before I came to this farmyard, I saw in one piece about four hundred acres of wheat stubble, and I saw a sheepfold which I thought contained an acre of ground, and had in it about four thousand sheep and lambs. The fold was divided into three separate flocks, but the piece of ground was one and the same, and I thought it contained about an acre. At one farm between Pusey and Uphaven, I counted more than three hundred hogs in one stubble, 
This is certainly the most delightful farming in the world. No ditches, no water furrows, no drains, hardly any hedges, no dirt and mire, even in the wettest seasons of the year. And though the downs are naked and cold, the valleys are snugness itself. They are, as to the downs, what ha-has are in parks or lawns. When you are going over the downs, you look over the valleys, as in the case of the ha-ha, and if you be not acquainted with the country, your surprise, when you come to the edge of the hill, is very great. The shelter in these valleys, and particularly where the downs are steep and lofty on the sides, is very complete. Then the trees are everywhere lofty. They are generally elms with some ashes, which delight in the soil that they find here. There are almost always two or three large clumps of trees in every parish, and a rookery or two, not rag-rookery, to every parish. By the water's edge there are willows, and to almost every farm there is a fine orchard, the trees being in general very fine, and this year they are in general well loaded with fruit. So that all taken together it seems impossible to find a more beautiful and pleasant country than this, or to imagine any life more easy and happy than men might here lead, if they were untormented by an accursed system that takes the food from those that raise it, and gives it to those that do nothing that is useful to man. Here the farmer has always an abundance of straw. His farmyard is never without it. Cattle and horses are bedded up to their eyes. The yards are put close under the shelter of a hill, or are protected by lofty and thick-set trees. Every animal seems comfortably situated, and in the dreariest days of winter these are perhaps the happiest scenes in the world, or rather they would be such if those whose labour makes it all, trees, corn, sheep, and everything, had but their fair share of the produce of that labour. What share they really have of it one cannot exactly say, but I should suppose that every labouring man in this valley raises as much food as would suffice for fifty or a hundred persons, fed like himself. At a farm at Milton there were, according to my calculation, six hundred quarters of wheat and twelve hundred quarters of barley of the present year's crop. The farm keeps, on an average, fourteen hundred sheep. It breeds and rears an usual proportion of pigs, fats the usual proportion of hogs, and I suppose rears and fats the usual proportion of poultry. Upon inquiry I found that this farm was in point of produce about one-fifth of the parish. Therefore the land of this parish produces annually about three thousand quarters of wheat, six thousand quarters of barley, the wool of seven thousand sheep together with the pigs and poultry. Now then, leaving green or moist vegetables out of the question, as being things that human creatures, and especially labouring human creatures, ought never to use as sustenance, and saying nothing at present about milk and butter, leaving these wholly out of the question, let us see how many people the produce of this parish would keep, supposing the people to live all alike, and to have plenty of food and clothing. In order to come at the fact here, let us see what would be the consumption of one family. Let it be a family of five persons, a man, wife, and three children, one child big enough to work, one big enough to eat heartily, and one a baby. And this is a pretty fair average of the state of people in the country. Such a family would want five pounds of bread a day, they would want a pound of mutton a day, they would want two pounds of bacon a day, they would want on an average winter and summer a gallon and a half of beer a day, for I mean that they should live without the aid of the eastern or the western slave-drivers. If sweets were absolutely necessary for the baby, there would be quite honey enough in the parish. Now then, to begin with the bread, a pound of good wheat makes a pound of good bread, for though the offal be taken out, the water is put in, and indeed the fact is that a pound of wheat will make a pound of bread leaving the offal of the wheat to feed pigs, or other animals, and to produce other human food in this way. 
The family would then use £1,825 of wheat in the year, which at £60 a bushel would be, leaving out a fraction, 30 bushels or three quarters and six bushels for the year. Next comes the mutton, £365 for the year. Next the bacon, £730. As to the quantity of mutton produced, the sheep are bred here and not fatted in general, but we may fairly suppose that each of the sheep kept here, each of the standing stock, makes first or last half a fat sheep, so that a farm that keeps on an average one hundred sheep produces annually fifty fat sheep. Suppose the mutton to be fifteen pounds a quarter, then the family will want within a trifle of seven sheep a year. Of bacon or pork thirty-six score will be wanted. Hogs differ so much in their propensity to fat that it is difficult to calculate about them, but this is a very good rule. When you see a fat hog and know how many scores he will weigh, set down to his account a sack half a quarter of barley for every score of his weight for let him have been educated as the french call it as he may this will be about the real cost of him when he is fat a sack of barley will make a score of bacon and it will not make more therefore the family would want eighteen quarters of barley in the year for bacon as to the beer eighteen gallons to the bushel of malt is very good but as we allow of no spirits no wine and none of the slave produce we will suppose that a sixth part of the beer is strong stuff. This would require two bushels of malt to the eighteen gallons. The whole would therefore take thirty-five bushels of malt, and a bushel of barley makes a bushel of malt, and by the increase pays the expense of malting. Here, then, the family would want for beer four quarters and three bushels of barley. The annual consumption of the family in victuals and drink would then be as follows. Wheat, three quarters, six bushels. Barley, twenty-two quarters, three bushels. Sheep, seven quarters. This being the case, the three thousand quarters of wheat which the parish annually produces would suffice for eight hundred families. The six thousand quarters of barley would suffice for two hundred and seven families. The three thousand five hundred fat sheep, being half the number kept, would suffice for five hundred families. So that here is produced in the parish of Milton bread for eight hundred, mutton for five hundred, and bacon and beer for two hundred and seven families. Besides victuals and drink, there are clothes, fuel, tools, and household goods wanting. But there are milk, butter, eggs, poultry, rabbits, hares, and partridges, which I have not noticed, and these are all eatables, and are all eaten too. And as to clothing, and indeed fuel, and all other wants beyond eating and drinking, are there not seven thousand fleeces of Southdown wool, weighing altogether twenty-one thousand pounds, and capable of being made into eight thousand four hundred yards of broad cloth, at two pounds and a half of wool to the yard? Setting, therefore, the wool, the milk, butter, eggs, poultry, and game, against all the wants beyond the solid food and drink, we see that the parish of Milton that we have under our eye would give bread to eight hundred families, mutton to five hundred and eighty, and bacon and beer to two hundred and seven. The reason why wheat and mutton are produced in a proportion so much greater than the materials for making bacon and beer is that the wheat and the mutton are more loudly demanded from a distance, and are much more cheaply conveyed away in proportion to their value. For instance, the wheat and mutton are wanted in the infernal wen, and some barley is wanted there in the shape of malt. But hogs are not fatted in the wen, and a larger proportion of the barley is used where it is grown. Here is then bread for eight hundred families, mutton for five hundred, and bacon and beer for two hundred and seven. Let us take the average of the three, and then we have five hundred and two families, for the keeping of whom, and in this good manner too, the parish of Milton yields a sufficiency. In the wool, the milk, butter, eggs, poultry, and game, we have seen ample, and much more than ample, provision for all wants other than those of mere food and drink. 
what i have allowed in food and drink is by no means excessive it is but a pound of bread and a little more than half a pound of meat a day to each person on an average and the beer is not a drop too much there are no green and moist vegetables included in my account but there would be some and they would not do any harm but no man can say or at least none but a base usurer who would grind money out of the bones of his own father no other man can or will say that i have been too liberal to this family and yet good god what extravagance is here if the labourers of england be now treated justly is there a family even amongst those who live the hardest in the wen that would not shudder at the thought of living upon what i have allowed to this family yet what do labourers families get compared to this the answer to that question ought to make us shudder indeed the amount of my allowance compared with the amount of the allowance that labourers now have is necessary to be stated here before i proceed further the wheat three quarters and six bushels at present price fifty-six shillings the quarter amounts to ten pounds ten shillings the barley for bacon and beer twenty-two quarters three bushels at present price thirty-four shillings the quarter amounts to thirty-seven pounds sixteen shillings eight pence the seven sheep at forty shillings each amount to fourteen pounds the total is sixty-two pounds six shillings eight pence and this observe for bare victuals and drink just food and drink enough to keep people in working condition what then do the labourers get to what fare has this wretched and most infamous system brought them why such a family as i have described is allowed to have at the utmost only about nine shillings a week the parish allowance is only about seven shillings sixpence for the five people including clothing fuel bedding and everything monstrous state of things but let us suppose it to be nine shillings even that makes only twenty three pounds eight shillings a year for food drink clothing fuel and everything whereas i allowed sixty two pounds six shillings eightpence a year for the bare eating and drinking and that is little enough monstrous barbarous horrible as this appears we do not however see it in half its horrors our indignation and rage against this infernal system is not half roused till we see the small number of labourers who raise all the food and the drink and of course the mere trifling portion of it that they are suffered to retain for their own use the parish of milton does as we have seen produce food drink clothing and all other things enough for five hundred and two families or two thousand five hundred and ten persons upon my allowance which is a great deal more than three times the present allowance because the present allowance includes clothing fuel tools and everything now then according to the population return laid before parliament this parish contains five hundred persons or according to my division one hundred families so that here are about one hundred families to raise food and drink enough and to raise wool and other things to pay for all other necessaries for five hundred and two families ay and five hundred and two families fed and lodged too on my liberal scale fed and lodged according to the present scale this one hundred families raise enough to supply more and many more than fifteen hundred families or seven thousand five hundred persons and yet those who do the work are half starved in the one hundred families there are we will suppose eighty able working men and as many boys sometimes assisted by the women and stout girls what a handful of people to raise such a quantity of food what injustice what a hellish system it must be to make those who raise it skin and bone and nakedness while the food and drink and wool are almost all carried away to be heaped on the fundholders pensioners soldiers dead-weight and other swarms of tax-eaters if such an operation do not need putting an end to then the devil himself is a saint thus it must be or much about thus all the way down this fine and beautiful and interesting valley there are twenty-nine agricultural parishes the two last being in town 
being Fisherton and Salisbury. Now, according to the population return, the whole of these twenty-nine parishes contain 9,116 persons, or, according to my division, 1,823 families. There is no reason to believe that the proportion that we have seen in the case of Milton does not hold good all the way through. That is, there is no reason to suppose that the produce does not exceed the consumption in every other case in the same degree that it does in the case of Milton. And indeed, if I were to judge from the number of houses and the number of ricks of corn, I should suppose that the excess was still greater in several of the other parishes. But supposing it to be no greater, supposing the same proportion to continue all the way from Watton Rivers to Stratford Dean, then here are 9,116 persons raising food and raiment sufficient for 45,580 persons, fed and lodged according to my scale, and sufficient for 136,740 persons, according to the scale on which the unhappy labourers of this fine valley are now fed and lodged. And yet there is an emigration committee, sitting to devise the means of getting rid, not of the idlers, not of the pensioners, not of the dead weight, not of the parsons, to relieve whom we have seen the poor labourers taxed to the tune of a million and a half of money, not of the soldiers, but to devise means of getting rid of these working people who are grudged even the miserable morsel that they get. There is in the men calling themselves English country gentlemen something superlatively base. They are, I sincerely believe, the most cruel, the most unfeeling, the most brutally insolent, but I know, I can prove, I can safely take my oath, that they are the most base of all the creatures that God ever suffered to disgrace the human shape. The base wretches know well that the taxes amount to more than sixty millions a year, and that the poor rates amount to about seven millions, yet while the cowardly reptiles never utter a word against the taxes, they are incessantly railing against the poor rates. Though it is, and they know it, the taxes that make the paupers. The base wretches know well that the sum of money given, even to the fellows that gather the taxes, is greater in amount than the poor rates. The base wretches know well that the money given to the dead weight, who ought not to have a single farthing, amounts to more than the poor receive out of the rates. The base wretches know well that the common foot-soldier now receives more pay per week, seven shillings, seven pence, exclusive of clothing, firing, candle, and lodging. The base wretches know that the common foot-soldier receives more to go down his own single throat than the overseers and magistrates allow to a working man, his wife, and three children. The base wretches know all this well, and yet their railings are confined to the poor and the poor rates and it is expected that they will next session urge the Parliament to pass a law to enable overseers and vestries and magistrates to transport paupers beyond the seas. They are base enough for this, or for anything. But the whole system will go to the devil long before they will get such an act passed, long before they will see perfected this consummation of their infamous tyranny. It is manifest enough that the population of this valley was at one time many times over what it is now. For in the first place, what were the twenty-nine churches built for? The population of the twenty-nine parishes is now, but little more than one-half of that of the single parish of Kensington, and there are several of the churches bigger than the church at Kensington. What, then, should all these churches have been built for? And besides, where did the hands come from? And where did the money come from? These twenty-nine churches would now not only hold all the inhabitants, men, women, and children, but all the household goods and tools and implements, of the whole of them, farmers and all, if you leave out the wagons and carts. In three instances, Fifield, Milston, and Roach Fen, the church porches will hold all the inhabitants, 
even down to the bedridden and the babies. What then? Will any man believe that these churches were built for such little knots of people? We are told about the great superstition of our fathers, and of their readiness to gratify the priests by building altars and other religious edifices. But we must think those priests to have been most devout creatures indeed, if we believe that they chose to have the money laid out in useless churches, rather than have it put into their own pockets. At any rate, we all know that Protestant priests have no whims of this sort, and that they never lay out upon churches any money that they can by any means get hold of. But suppose that we are to believe that the priests had in all times this unaccountable taste, and suppose we are to believe that a knot of people, who might be crammed into a church porch, were seized, and very frequently too, with the desire of having a big church to go to. We must, after all this, believe that this knot of people were more than giants, or that they had surprising riches, as we cannot believe that they had the means of gratifying the strange wishes of their priests, and their own not less strange piety and devotion, even if we could believe that they thought that they were paving their way to heaven by building churches which were a hundred times too large for the population, still we cannot believe that the building could have been effected without bodily force. And where was this force to come from, if the people were not more numerous than they now are? What, again, I ask, were these twenty-nine churches stuck up, not a mile from each other? What were twenty-nine churches made for, if the population had been no greater than it is now? But, in fact, you plainly see all the traces of a great ancient population. The churches are almost all large and built in the best manner. Many of them are very fine edifices, very costly in the building, and in the cases where the body of the church has been altered in the repairing of it, so as to make it smaller, the tower, which everywhere defies the hostility of time, shows you what the church must formerly have been. This is the case in several instances, and there are two or three of these villages which must formerly have been market towns, and particularly Pusey and Uphaven. There are now no less than nine of the parishes out of the twenty-nine that have either no parsonage-houses, or have such as are in such a state that a parson will not or cannot live in them. Three of them are without any parsonage-houses at all, and the rest are become poor, mean, falling-down places. This latter is the case at Uphaven, which was formerly a very considerable place. Nothing can more clearly show than this, that all, as far as buildings and population are concerned, has been long upon the decline and decay. Dilapidation after dilapidation have at last almost effaced even the parsonage-houses, and that too in defiance of the law, ecclesiastical as well as civil. The land remains, and the crops and the sheep come as abundantly as ever, but they are now sent almost wholly away, instead of remaining, as formerly, to be, in great part, consumed in these twenty-nine parishes. The stars in my map mark the spots where manor-houses or gentlemen's mansions formerly stood, and stood, too, only about sixty years ago. Every parish had its manor-house in the first place, and then there were, down this valley, twenty-one others, so that in this distance of about thirty miles there stood fifty mansion-houses. Where are they now? I believe there are but eight that are at all worthy of the name of mansion-houses, and even these are but poorly kept up, and except in two or three instances, are of no benefit to the labouring people. They employ but few persons, and in short do not half supply the place of any eight of the old mansions. All these mansions, all these parsonages, I, and their goods and furniture, together with the clocks, the brass kettles, the brewing vessels, the good bedding and good clothes and good furniture, and the stock in pigs or in money of the inferior classes, in this series of once populous and gay villages and hamlets, all these have been, by the accursed system of taxing and funding and paper money, by the well-known exactions of the State, and by the not less real, though less generally understood, 
extortions of the monopolies arising out of paper money all these have been by these accursed means conveyed away out of this valley to the haunts of the tax-eaters and the monopolizers there are many of the mansion-houses the ruins of which you yet behold at milton there are two mansion-houses the walls and the roofs of which yet remain but which are falling gradually to pieces and the garden walls are crumbling down at enford bennett the member for the county had a large mansion-house the stables of which are yet standing in several places i saw still remaining indubitable traces of an ancient manor-house namely a dovecote or pigeon-house the poor pigeons have kept possession of their heritage from generation to generation and so have the rooks in their several rookeries while the paper system has swept away or rather swallowed up the owners of the dovecotes and of the lofty trees about forty families of which owners have been ousted in this one valley and have become dead-weight creatures tax-gatherers barrack-fellows thief-takers or perhaps paupers or thieves senator snip congratulated some years ago that preciously honourable collective wisdom of which he is a most worthy member snip congratulated it on the success of the late war in creating capital snip is you must know a great philosopher and a not less great financier snip cited as a proof of the great and glorious effects of paper money the new and fine houses in london the new streets and squares the new roads new canals and bridges snip was not i dare say aware that this same paper money had destroyed forty mansion-houses in this vale of avon and had taken away all the goods all the substance of the little gentry and of the labouring class snip was not i dare say aware that this same paper money had in this one vale of only thirty miles long dilapidated and in some cases wholly demolished nine out of twenty-nine even of the parsonage houses i told snip at the time eighteen twenty one that paper money could create no valuable thing i begged snip to bear this in mind i besought all my readers and particularly mr matthias atwood one of the members for lowther town not to believe that paper money ever did or ever could create anything of any value i besought him to look well into the matter and assured him that he would find that though paper money could create nothing of value it was able to transfer everything of value able to strip a little gentry able to dilapidate even parsonage houses able to rob gentlemen of their estates and labourers of their sunday coats and their barrels of beer able to snatch the dinner from the board of the reaper or the mower and to convey it to the barrack-table of the hessian or hanoverian grenadier able to take away the wool that ought to give warmth to the bodies of those who rear the sheep and put it on the backs of those who carry arms to keep the poor half-famished shepherds in order i have never been able clearly to comprehend what the beastly scotch philosophers mean by their national wealth but as far as i can understand them this is their meaning the national wealth means that which is left of the products of the country over and above what is consumed or used by those whose labour causes the products to be this being the notion it follows of course that the fewer poor devils you can screw the products out of the richer the nation is this is too the notion of burdett as expressed in his silly and most nasty musty aristocratic speech of last session what then is to be done with this overproduce who is to have it is it to go to pensioners placemen tax-gatherers dead-weight people soldiers gendarmerie police-people and in short to whole millions who do no work at all is this a cause of national wealth is a nation made rich by taking the food and clothing from those who create them and giving them to those who do nothing of any use ay but this overproduce may be given to manufacturers and to those who supply the food-raisers with what they want besides food 
oh but this is merely an exchange of one valuable thing for another valuable thing it is an exchange of labour in wiltshire for labour in lancashire and upon the whole here is no overproduction if the produce be exported it is the same thing it is an exchange of one sort of labour for another but our course is that there is not an exchange that those who labour no matter in what way have a large part of the fruit of their labour taken away and receive nothing in exchange if the overproduce of this valley of avon were given by the farmers to the weavers in lancashire to the iron and steel chaps of warwickshire and to other makers or sellers of useful things there would come an abundance of all these useful things into this valley from lancashire and other parts but if as is the case the overproduce goes to the fund-holders the dead weight the soldiers the lord and lady and master and miss pensioners and sinecure people if the overproduce go to them as a very great part of it does nothing not even the parings of one's nails can come back to the valley in exchange and can this operation then add to the national wealth it adds to the wealth of those who carry on the affairs of state it fills their pockets those of their relatives and dependents it fattens all tax-eaters but it can give no wealth to the nation which means the whole of the people national wealth means the commonwealth or common weal and these mean the general good or happiness of the people and the safety and honour of the state and these are not to be secured by robbing those who labour in order to support a large part of the community in idleness devizes is the market-town to which the corn goes from the greater part of this valley if when a waggon-load of wheat goes off in the morning the waggon came back at night loaded with cloth salt or something or other equal in value to the wheat except what might be necessary to leave with the shopkeeper as his profit then indeed the people might see the waggon go off without tears in their eyes but now they see it go to carry away and to bring next to nothing in return what a twist a head must have before it can come to the conclusion that the nation gains in wealth by the government being able to cause the work to be done by those who have hardly any share in the fruit of the labour what a twist such a head must have the scotch philosophers who seem all to have been by nature formed for negro drivers have an insuperable objection to all those establishments and customs which occasion holidays they call them a great hindrance a great bar to industry a great drawback from national wealth i wish each of these unfeeling fellows had a spade put into his hand for ten days only ten days and that he were compelled to dig only just as much as one of the common labourers at fulham the metaphysical gentleman would i believe soon discover the use of holidays but why should men why should any men work hard why i ask should they work incessantly if working part of the days of the week be sufficient why should the people at milton for instance work incessantly when they now raise food and clothing and fuel and every necessary to maintain well five times their number why should they not have some holidays and pray say thou conceited scotch philosopher how the national wealth can be increased by making these people work incessantly that they may raise food and clothing to go to feed and clothe people who do not work at all the state of this valley seems to illustrate the infamous and really diabolical assertion of malthus which is that the human kind have a natural tendency to increase beyond the means of sustenance for them hence all the schemes of this and the other scotch writers for what they call checking population now look at this valley of avon here the people raise nearly twenty times as much food and clothing as they consume they raise five times as much even according to my scale of living they have been doing this for many many years they have been doing it for several generations where then is their natural tendency to increase beyond the means of sustenance for them beyond indeed the means of that sustenance 
which a system like this will leave them say that sawneys and i agree with you far beyond the means that the taxing and monopolizing system will leave in their hands that is very true for it leaves them nothing but the scale of the poor book they must cease to breed at all or they must exceed this mark but the earth give them their fair share of its products will always give sustenance and sufficiency to those who apply to it by skilful and diligent labour the villagers down this valley of avon and indeed it was the same in almost every part of this county and in the north and west of hampshire also used to have great employment for the women and children in the carding and spinning of wool for the making of broadcloth this was a very general employment for the women and girls but it is now wholly gone and this has made a vast change in the condition of the people and in the state of property and of manners and of morals in eighteen sixteen i wrote and published a letter to the luddites the object of which was to combat their hostility to the use of machinery the arguments i there made use of were general i took the matter in the abstract the principles were all correct enough but the application cannot be universal and we have a case here before us at this moment which in my opinion shows that the mechanic inventions pushed to the extent that they have been have been productive of great calamity to this country and that they will be productive of still greater calamity unless indeed it be their brilliant destiny to be the immediate cause of putting an end to the present system the greater part of manufactures consists of clothing and bedding now if by using a machine we can get our coat with less labour than we got it before the machine is a desirable thing but then mind we must have the machine at home and we ourselves must have the profit of it for if the machine be elsewhere if it be worked by other hands if other persons have the profit of it and if in consequence of the existence of the machine we have hands at home who have nothing to do and whom we must keep then the machine is an injury to us however advantageous it may be to those who use it and whatever traffic it may occasion with foreign states such is the case with regard to this cloth-making the machines are at upton level warminster bradford westbury and trowbridge and here are some of the hands in the valley of avon this valley raises food and clothing but in order to raise them it must have labourers these are absolutely necessary for without them this rich and beautiful valley becomes worth nothing except to wild animals and their pursuers the labourers are men and boys women and girls occasionally but the men and the boys are as necessary as the light of day or as the air and the water now if beastly malthus or any of his nasty disciples can discover a mode of having men and boys without having women and girls then certainly the machine must be a good thing but if this valley must absolutely have the women and the girls then the machine by leaving them with nothing to do is a mischievous thing and a producer of most dreadful misery what with regard to the poor is the great complaint now why that the single man does not receive the same or anything like the same wages as the married man ay it is the wife and girls that are the burden and to be sure a burden they must be under a system of taxation like the present and with no work to do therefore whatever may be saved in labour by the machine is no benefit but an injury to the mass of the people for in fact all that the women and children earned was so much clear addition to what the family earns now the greatest part of the clothing in the united states of america is made by the farm women and girls they do almost the whole of it and all that they do is done at home to be sure they might buy cheap but they must buy for less than nothing if it would not answer their purpose to make the things the survey of this valley is i think the finest answer in the world to the emigration committee fellows and to jerry curtis one of the members for sussex who has been giving evidence before it i shall find out when i get to see the report what this emigration committee would be after 
I remember that last winter a young woman complained to one of the police justices that the overseers of some parish were going to transport her orphan brother to Canada, because he became chargeable to their parish. I remember also that the justice said that the intention of the overseers was premature, for that the bill had not yet passed. This was rather an ugly story, and I do think that we shall find that there have been, and are, some pretty propositions before this committee. We shall see all about the matter, however, by and by, and when we get the transporting project fairly before us, shall we not then loudly proclaim the envy of surrounding nations and admiration of the world? But what ignorance, impudence, and insolence must those base wretches have, who propose to transport the labouring people as being too numerous, while the produce which is obtained by their labour is more than sufficient for three, four, or five, or even ten times their numbers? Jerry Curtis, who has, it seems, been a famous witness on this occasion, says that the poor rates in many cases amount to as much as the rent. Well, and what then, Jerry? The rent may be high enough, too, and the farmer may afford to pay them both, for a very large part of what you call poor rates ought to be called wages. But at any rate, what has all this to do with the necessity of emigration? To make out such necessity, you must make out that you have more mouths than the produce of the parish will feed. Do then, Jerry, tell us another time, a little about the quantity of food annually raised in four or five adjoining parishes, for is it not something rather damnable, Jerry, to talk of transporting Englishmen on account of the excess of their numbers, when the fact is notorious that their labour produces five or ten times as much food and raiment as they and their families consume? However, to drop Jerry for the present, the baseness, the foul, the stinking, the carrion baseness of the fellows that call themselves country gentlemen is that the wretches while railing against the poor and the poor rates while affecting to believe that the poor are wicked and lazy while complaining that the poor the working people are too numerous and that the country villages are too populous the carrion baseness of these wretches is that while they are thus bold with regard to the working and poor people they never even whisper a word against pensioners placemen soldiers parsons fundholders tax-gatherers or tax-eaters they say not a word against the prolific dead weight to whom they give a premium for breeding while they want to check the population of labourers they never say a word about the too great populousness of the wen nor about that of liverpool manchester cheltenham and the like oh they are the most cowardly the very basest the most scandalously base reptiles that ever were warmed into life by the rays of the sun in taking my leave of this beautiful veil i have to express my deep shame as an englishman at beholding the general extreme poverty of those who cause this veil to produce such quantities of food and raiment. This is, I verily believe it, the worst used labouring people upon the face of the earth. Dogs and hogs and horses are treated with more civility, and as to food and lodging, how gladly would the labourers change with them. This state of things never can continue many years. By some means or other there must be an end to it, and my firm belief is that the end will be dreadful." In the meanwhile I see, and I see it with pleasure, that the common people know that they are ill-used, and that they cordially, most cordially hate those who ill-treat them. During the day I crossed the river about fifteen or sixteen times, and in such hot weather it was very pleasant to be so much amongst meadows and water. I had been at Netheraven about eighteen years ago, where I had seen a great quantity of hares. It is a place belonging to Mr. Hicks Beach, or Beach, who was once a member of Parliament. I found the place altered a good deal, out of repair, the gates rather rotten, and a very bad sign, 
the roof of the dog-kennel falling in. There is a church at this village of Netheraven, large enough to hold a thousand or two of people, and the whole parish contains only three hundred and fifty souls, men, women, and children. This Netheraven was formerly a great lordship, and in the parish there were three considerable mansion-houses, besides the one near the church. These mansions are all down now, and it is curious enough to see the former walled gardens become orchards, together with other changes, all tending to prove the gradual decay in all except what appertains merely to the land as a thing of production for the distant market. But indeed the people and the means of enjoyment must go away. They are drawn away by the taxes and the paper money. How are twenty thousand new houses to be made all at once building in the wen, without people and food and raiment, going from this valley towards the wen? It must be so, and this unnatural, this dilapidating, this ruining and debasing work must go on until that which produces it be destroyed. When I came down to Stratford Dean I wanted to go across to Laverstoke, which lay to my left of Salisbury. But just on the side of the road here at Stratford Dean rises the accursed hill. It is very lofty. It was originally a hill in an irregular sort of sugar-loaf shape, but it was so altered by the Romans, or by somebody, that the upper three-quarter parts of the hill now, when seen from a distance, somewhat resemble three cheeses, laid one upon another, the bottom one a great deal broader than the next, and the top one like a Stilton cheese, in proportion to a Gloucester one. I resolved to ride over this accursed hill. As I was going up a field towards it, I met a man going home from work. I asked how he got on. He said very badly. I asked him what was the cause of it. He said the hard times. What times? said I. Was there ever a finer summer, a finer harvest? And is there not an old wheat rick in every farmyard? Ah, said he, they make it bad for poor people, for all that. They, said I, who is they? He was silent. Oh, no, no, my friend, said I, it is not they. It is that accursed hill that has robbed you of the supper that you ought to find smoking on the table when you get home. I gave him the price of a pot of beer, and on I went, leaving the poor dejected assemblage of skin and bone to wonder at my words. The hill is very steep, and I dismounted and led my horse up. Being as near to the top as I could conveniently get, I stood a little while reflecting, not so much on the changes which that hill had seen, as on the changes, the terrible changes which in all human probability it had yet to see, and which it would have greatly helped to produce. It was impossible to stand on this accursed spot without swelling with indignation against the base and plundering and murderous sons of corruption. I have often wished, and I, speaking out loud, express the wish now, May that man perish for ever and ever, who, having the power, neglects to bring to justice the perjured, the subordinating, the insolent and perfidious miscreants, who openly sell their country's rights and their own souls. From the accursed hill I went to Laverstoke, where Jemmy Burrow, as they call him here, the judge, lives. I have not heard much about Jemmy, since he tried and condemned the two young men who had wounded the gamekeepers of Ashton Smith and Lord Palmerston. His lordship, Palmerston, is, I see, making a tolerable figure in the newspapers as a shareman. I got into Salisbury about half-past seven o'clock, less tired than I recollect ever to have been after so long a ride, for including my several crossings of the river, and my deviations to look at churches and farmyards and rickyards, I think I must have ridden nearly forty miles. End of chapter 21